God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you, wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles today to the book of Genesis? Of course, that's where we've been. That's where we're going to be until we finish it. And open to Genesis chapter 38. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about the line of grace. You know, people today have apps that can help them discover who was in their family tree, who was in their family line, if you will, who their ancestors were. And sometimes those people that you discover have amazing stories of their own. Some of those stories could be really good, but there's also some of those stories that are really bad. Now, you'd expect that someone really good would have some really good people in their family tree. Maybe someone famous or someone who did something really good in life. But what about the Messiah? What about the family tree of Yeshua HaMashiach? Or in English, you could just call him Jesus Christ. What about his family tree? What about his line of family and ancestors? Well, you might think, well, he's the son of God. He's the only sinless person who ever walked the earth. I bet you're thinking that his family tree would have all these good people in it and there would be nobody at all who was really bad in that family tree in his line or his lineage, right? Well, you'd be wrong, really wrong. In fact, you'd be shocked at the characters that you find in the Messiah's family tree or in the Messianic line, as we'd call it. And the story is that some of those people that have you'd be scratching your head on as you read those stories and wondering how in the world they got in there and the answer is 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 they got in there because of the grace of God in fact everyone in the Messiah's line had problems <laughs> sometimes I think that you had to have all of these problems to even be a part of the lineage to the Messiah because it's all about God's grace in fact maybe we should call it the line of grace. In other words, there's only people there to show you that in fact God can use people who are not perfect. There's only people there in the line of the Messiah, in his ancestors' line, to show us that God can use ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. Now today we're going to look at one of those really famous people in the Messiah's line. All the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 38, the chapter we're studying today. And we're going to be looking at Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he's also known, Jacob of course, is also known as Israel after God changed his name. Quite a character himself, right? Jacob meant heel catcher, supplanter, deceiver, con man. And then God changed his name as he started trusting in God for life. He changed the name from Jacob to Israel, which now meant governed by God. Well, Israel had 12 sons. And there was a daughter, too, named Dinah, and we've covered her before. 
But the 12 sons is what the Bible is going to focus on now. And these tribes are going to comprise much of what the Bible has to say about Israel as it goes all the way through the Bible. So let's look at Genesis 38 now, starting at verse 1. It says, And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. And he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. Now, let's just stop right there at verse 1. Let's talk about what's going on here. Judah departing from his brothers. What are you saying, Pastor Stephen? I mean, these were godly people, right? These were the great-grandsons of Abraham of Inno, Abraham our father, the father of our faith. And they're gonna, Judah is now departing from his brothers, and he's going to visit these people living in the land of Canaan. That doesn't sound like a good Jewish thing to do. And this is a guy named Judah. Judah is that region where Yerushalayim is or Jerusalem is. Remember? Judah in the land of Israel. That was named after him. What's he doing departing from his brothers and the family that knows God, that has heard from God, and now he's going out to this place in Canaan and visiting a friend who's a Canaanite. He's stepping out into the world, forgetting who he is for a while, forgetting why he's here. Now let's look at verse 2 and see what it says. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. This Canaanite woman was named Shua. And he married her, or the Canaanite was named Shua, and he married this daughter of the Canaanite and went into her. In other words, had sexual relations with her. So she conceived, it says in verse 3, and bore a son. And he, Judah, called the name of that son Er. E-R. That's how you're seeing that in your Bible. Er. And she conceived again and bore another son, and she called his, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. Uh, he was at Chizib when she bore him, these children. Then verse 6 says, Then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. He took this wife for his firstborn son, they're in Canaan, and the wife was taken from the Canaanites, and her name was Tamar. And then verse 7, but Er, Judah's firstborn, it says, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Oh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's more. Look at verse 8. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. We'll talk about why that happened and how that was happening in those days and what the rules and traditions were, and even later in the law, too. But then verse 9 goes on and says, But Onan knew that the heir, if he had a child through Tamar, the heir would not be his, it would be his dead brother's. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, they had sexual relations, that he omitted on the ground. In other words, he, there was none of his fluids that had gone into her. And instead, he put those on the ground. This is a hard thing to talk about, right? But he said, lest he should give an heir to his brother. He didn't want to give this heir to his brother. He wanted an heir for himself, you see. And verse 10 then says, And the thing which he did, 
displeased the Lord, therefore the Lord killed him also. Now, let's talk about these things. Really difficult things that we're reading today. And I got to tell you, you know, if this was, if the Bible was some just feel-good story that wanted to tell you all the beautiful, beautiful things that were going on and, and all of the people in the Bible and their lives and everything, it would tell you all these things and you'd probably think really good things. But God tells you the truth. He tells you what he sees. He tells you the sins of people as he sees them. He tells you the things that other people don't see. The things that happen behind the scenes when no one's looking. Let's discuss this custom now of taking a brother's wife if that brother dies. And the need that the wife now as a widow has for children to take care of her as she gets older. And someone to keep the dead brother's name going forward as well so that his name would not die after he died. And that would later be a requirement in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, by the way. But let's just talk about this for a little bit. His first brother, Er, the firstborn of Judah and his Canaanite wife, the firstborn was Er. And he was wicked and it just said God killed him. Well, he, he took the wife for her, and Tamar was, it was the custom of the father to take and find a wife for his son. You know that from the New Testament. The father in heaven is making ready the wedding feast and marriage ceremony of his son in heaven. For when the believers in him and the church are raptured into heaven, and then God the father causes all of this stuff to happen, he's preparing the wedding for his son. Well, it was a Jewish custom going very, very far back. And actually, before, it was even a custom in some of the cultures of the people around them. So it was a common thing that if a brother married a wife and your brother died, then the next oldest brother would be required to take that wife have sexual relations with her and raise up children for his deceased brother. Well, the deceased brother then would, that would be his child. That would be his heir. And all the things that would accumulate to that wife and that child would then belong to their family and would not go to the next oldest brother who had come in to represent his dead brother. It wouldn't go to him at all. It was just something polite that he would do so that the memory of his brother who had passed away would be preserved. But Onan knew that he wouldn't be the heir. And so it came to pass that even though he had sexual relations with his dead brother's wife, even though he had sexual relations with Tamar, it says he admitted on the ground. In other words, she couldn't get pregnant from that, obviously. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, it is said in verse 10. Therefore, the Lord killed him also. So he had these two evil sons of Judah. And now who's going to fulfill that tradition of taking care of this widow? It wasn't like it was now. It wasn't like it is now where the, the woman could just go out and get a job. Back then, it was the man that worked. The woman stayed at home 
people didn't hire the women to do these various kinds of work like that and everything. And, and basically, she had no way of taking care of herself. Financially, she couldn't afford to buy food. They didn't have social safety nets like we do in governments today. And she was just left on her own and everybody else had their own problems. So basically, who would take care of her? You see, and so these customs were made and the Bible actually supported it, like we said in Deuteronomy 25, to take care of the widows and the orphans as well, you see. And so we see this custom of the brothers taking care of the widows that a, a deceased brother would have left. Now we look at Er and Onan and the consequences of leaving the family. Uh, you know, God, uh, God has his family now, Tamar and Er and everything, and there's no children yet. Onan knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go in there and he's supposed to uh, help her have children. And, and those children are going to be for his brother, but he doesn't do anything for his brother. He's a selfish guy. He's a very evil guy. And God is going to take his life too because of his selfishness and evil and wicked ways and the things that he's done in not taking care of his brother's widow. The world is selfish, isn't it? And everything in the world encourages you to live for yourself, right? Oh, it's expensive, but you're worth it. That's what they tell you. Oh, you deserve this. That's what they tell you. It's all about you. In fact, some people will even say, it's all about me, and they're proud. And it's like they think that the cameras are all on them and everything. And they're the star of some invisible movie that's happening or something. It's just all about them. And I think Clint Eastwood said, yeah, they're a legend in their own mind. Let's see what happens next in verse 11. Is he in the world? Is Judah in the world? Yeah, he's out there in Canaan. This is not back home with his father, Yitzchak. And the family there and everything, Yitzchak has is, is passed away now, but we see that his family knew God. And God had spoken to people in his family. But he leaves the family and Judah goes out into the world in a place where they worship idols, no less. And Canaan, and they've got all these false idols and pagan practices, and there he is. So you really shouldn't be so surprised, Judah, that your kids are acting selfish and thinking only of themselves because that's the way the world teaches everyone to be. You have to be a godly example for those kids so that they know that there's another way to live. But it says in verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Well, remain a widow for a while here, he's saying, in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he die also like his brother's, in other words, Judah didn't want to send his last son to Tamar. And Tamar, to her credit, she obeyed Judah and she went and dwelt with her father's house. And it's hard. I mean, here she was. She had left the home and she had been married. And then uh, the, the brother to the deceased brother came and he didn't want anything to do with her. And Judah said, well, I've, I've got one more son, but he's too young right now. Go away to your father's house and I'll let you know when Shelah, my third son, is now grown enough and then he can be your husband. But it says in verse 12, in the process of time, 
the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife. Remember, Shua was the Canaanite uh, that had this daughter, and Judah's wife is the, uh, he had, Judah had married this daughter of Shua the Canaanite. And Judah's wife died, it says in verse 12, in the process of time, Judah's wife died. And Judah needed to be comforted. It's really the way that is trying to say this, but it says Judah was comforted. It was a ceremony that you went through after you lose a loved one. And you have a ceremony that you spend some time trying to just reflect in time just to rest and reflect on what's happening in your lives and trying to come to grips with what has just happened to you. Because your life is now upside down from what it used to be. Judas just lost his wife. And so he wanted to be comforted. And he went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah. And that was a place that people took their flocks and their sheep and they would go up there to shear the sheep. But Judah wanted to do this just to get away from it all and to be comforted somehow. And he and his friend Hirad, the Adulamite again, went up there. And it was told Tamar, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And verse 14, it says, so she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself up and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah because she saw that Shelah was now grown and she was not given to him as a wife. Judah didn't do what he said he was going to do. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, remember she was all wrapped up and hidden and she was dressed like a harlot would dress, a prostitute. Judah thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And that's what the prostitutes did in those times. But notice that word of harlot. And we'll, uh, we'll get back to that in just a moment. It says in verse 16, then, then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. He was saying, basically, please let me have sex with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. He didn't realize it was Tamar under all that clothing and with that veil on her face. And with the face covered, you can't recognize who it is, you see. And so she said, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge until you send it? And then he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your signet, uh, your cord, and, and that staff that's in your hand, your, your staff. And then he gave them to her and went into her. They had sexual relations and she conceived by him. Verse 19 then, so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. They had a certain way that they dressed when they were widows, that people would know that they're in mourning and that they're widows, and that perhaps people would feel compassion and want to help her out with some food or some way in which they could, maybe, you know, help, can, hey, can I clean your place or something? Or, can I bring you anything? How are you doing? Is there medicine that you need? How about food? Are, are you okay on food? You see, they would see the garments that she was wearing, but she had taken those off and put on the garments of a harlot, a prostitute. And then she was sitting out by the road when Judah came up to Timnah to be comforted about his wife. Isn't it strange that Judah comes up to Timnah supposedly 
to comfort himself about losing his wife and while he's there has sexual relations with a prostitute? How much did you really love that wife, Judah, you see? It doesn't make sense, does it? It seems like he was just all into this world thing about, you know, pleasing yourself, pleasing the flesh. We're not going to, like, try to condemn him or anything because we don't know the real motivations in his heart. But it is interesting that he goes there to comfort himself about losing his wife. And while he's there, he has sexual relationships with a prostitute. And I don't think his wife would approve of that, do you? Of course not. But then he gave these items the cord and the signet and the staff in his hand, he gave them to this prostitute that he had sexual relations with and told her, he said, okay, you keep these until I send you that goat. And then when I send you the goat, I'll come back and get these again. And so it was kind of like a down payment or something for surety, a guarantee that he would send the goat. A goat was really important. You see, in those days... A goat could mean the difference between living or dying. From a goat, you could get meat. From a goat, you could get milk, more importantly. And you could keep getting milk for a long time from that goat. So entire families would live by having one or two goats, you see. So when he said, well, I'll give you a goat, basically what he was saying to you is, look, I don't know how much money you make here, but this is a goat. You're going to be able to take this and live off of the milk and make these things and breads and all these kinds of things, you know, from this goat. So that was really valuable. But she wanted some assurance that he would come back and bring the goat or send the goat to her. So Judah said, well, how about if I leave these valuable things that I'm carrying, this signet ring, which proves who I am. It's my symbol that shows who I am, and people know this, and they know that that's my symbol. And the cord and that staff that's in his hand, they knew that these would belong to an important man. Not everybody had a signet. Not everyone had a cord. And most people didn't have a really good, solid, nice staff like Judah had, but he was a wealthy man. And he left these things with this harlot until he would send her the goat. Now, Judah's already proven in these verses so far that he's not a very honest man. He gave her his word that when uh, Shelah, his third son, was grown and older, that he would send Shelah to her to be a husband. And keep in mind, remember, it's the father's responsibility to arrange the weddings. Tamar was waiting on him to do his job, arrange the weddings. That's what she had waited on when Er was her husband, when Onan was sent to her from, his fa from uh, uh, Onan's father, Judah. And now she's waiting on Judah to keep his word and send Shelah, his third son, to her when Shelah gets older. So now he's gotten older, and she comes to the conclusion that, well, he hasn't sent Shelah to me. He doesn't want to send him to me. And so she made the determination that Judah was not an honest man. He's not a man who kept his word. He had no intention of sending his third son to Tamar as he said he would. So Tamar came up with her own plan to get him to help her, you see. 
And she was going to trap him in this sexual sort of thing, you know, and everything. And then later, if she needed to, she had no leverage against him. He was rich and powerful. But if it could be proven that while he was trying to get comfort from the loss of his wife that he went into a prostitute, then later she would have leverage on Judah and he would have to take his responsibility and start taking care of the young lady because she had been the wife of his son heir. And it was his responsibility to make sure that his family continued to take care of this young widow and didn't just cast her out. It says in verse 20 then, So Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge, the three things, the signet, the cord, and the staff, to receive his pledge back from the woman, from the woman's hand. But he did not find her. His friend, the Adulamite, did not find her, it says in verse 20. Verse 21 then he asked the men of that place, saying, Well, where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There's no harlot in this place. Uh-oh. Verse 22, So he returned to Judah and said, I can't find her. And all the men of the place also said, There's no harlot in that place. Verse 23, Then Judah said, Well, let them take uh, for themselves, let her take them for the, herself, the cord and the signet ring and the staff and lest we be shamed. What he was really saying was, I don't want people to find out it's mine by me going and trying to make a big deal about getting them because then I'll be shamed for going to a prostitute, you see. And so then Judah said in verse 23, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed for I sent this young goat and you've not found her. I tried, that's what he was saying. And we can't find her. We don't know where she is. So I guess she just keeps the other stuff and uh, with the goat, we don't know where she is. We can't give her the goat. And so here we see Judah trying to pay his debt. But we don't see any guilt for the sin he's committed. Seems like he's concerned about having a good name in society. And it may have been that he just wanted to do business with the local people. But if a report got out about him not paying his bills, people in business wouldn't trust him. And that would be hard to do business in a climate like that. Now we really don't know what motivated Judah, but we do know that he tried to pay his debt to the prostitute. He may have had a good name in appearance to others, but what was his reputation with the Lord? What did God think about him? It's a good thing that the Lord is a God who is merciful and forgiving, you see, because otherwise we would all be in a lot of trouble. We try to live for the outside so much, and we forget about the inside, the heart. But God looks on the heart, is what he says in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, as you would say in English. Now, it's also interesting in these verses, interesting in these verses that we just read, that the word used for harlot, and I told you I would talk about this, the word used for harlot in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew that we're reading these verses from today, that word used from harlot, for harlot is not just the simple word for harlot. The word is Kedishah. Kedishah literally means a temple prostitute. A temple prostitute who does sexual favors for those who come to temples that worship false gods. In other words, when he saw this woman there and thought she was a prostitute, it was really his daughter-in-law. But when he thought that it was a prostitute, 
He knew the word shows and she was dressed like one. He knew that it was a temple prostitute. In fact, when they're looking for her, he says, where is that temple prostitute? And they said, there's no temple prostitute here. He knew it was a temple prostitute. So here we have a man who is one of the 12 patriarchs, the great grandson of Abraham himself. And God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to his son, Isaac. God spoke to Jacob, the father of Judah. And now Judah is going to have sex with a temple prostitute that represents a temple to false gods and idols? You see how far, how fast he's fallen when he left the confines and the love of God and went out to the world to try to have some fun. He seems to know that he's going to a place where false gods are worshipped. And yet he's the great-grandson of Abraham. Judah's family knew the one true God, the living God, the one who made heaven and earth. What's going on here? Well, notice what happened so far in the story. At first, Judah has friends from among the Canaanites. And he trusts them and he goes and hangs out with them. Those are the people who worship false gods. Remember the Canaanites? Then Judah marries the daughter of a Canaanite. Next, we're going to see that the Lord has to kill two of his sons from that marriage because they were so wicked. They were from a Canaanite marriage. The mother was Canaanite. The kids were Canaanite. They came from a culture that worshipped false gods who did not have any accountability to the real Lord Almighty, the God who made heaven and earth, who had standards for man to live up to. They just did whatever they felt good in their own mind. Their own emotions ruled them. That's usually the way it is with cultures that have idols and false gods. And they usually involve sex in it somehow. And therefore you get the temple prostitutes involved because people are wicked and they want sex. And yet they want to be religious just in case there's a God that's real. And so they make sex a part of worshiping that false god. And they put temple prostitutes close by the temples where the false gods are worshipped. And these two sons, Canaanite sons, were wicked and God had to kill them. They were so wicked. Now think, think about this. There's a lot of bad people that God just doesn't instantly kill all of them who do some bad. But these two guys were so wicked... God killed them right away. That tells you a little something right there about how wicked they were. And now Judah is starting to reap the consequences of going into a godless culture. When you leave the ways of God and you walk with the world, you're opening yourself up to sorrow and judgment. You can't have one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot in the world. You need to choose which one you'll serve. But as Joshua said... But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Let's continue on now in verse 24. It says, And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. She's pregnant. She's been trying to, she was a harlot and she went out with someone and now she's pregnant. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. <laughs> When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, 
by the man who owns these things, by the man to whom these things belong, I am with child. No one else knew what she was talking about, but Judah saw the staff, the cord, and the signet ring, and he goes, uh-oh, those are mine. I just said, let her be burned, and I'm just as guilty as she is. So many times when we look at other people, we think that they're doing this sin is terrible. But when we do the same sin, we don't think too much about it. I heard someone say, and it makes sense, our own sins always look worse, far worse, on somebody else. But when we're wearing those sins, somehow we seem to ignore those. But Judah is now confronted with the evidence, and he's acknowledging. It says in verse 26, so Judah acknowledged them and said, she's been more righteous than I, because I did not give her my son, Shelah. And he never knew her again. He confessed his sins, that she was more righteous than he was. He didn't give her the son. He just left her alone, never saw her again, never had sexual relations with her again. And yet the babies that she's going to have, two are going to be had from that pregnancy from Judah with that sexual encounter with Judah. Now it says in verse 27, now it came to pass at the time for giving birth, the nine months later, that behold, twins were in her womb. And verse 28, so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife who was helping in the delivery took that hand and tied a scarlet thread around it and put it on his hand because she wanted to make sure that they identified which one was going to come out first because remember, the first one born gets the birthright and that's twice as much inheritance as the next oldest one, you see. And then it happened as that one with the uh, scarlet thread on it withdrew his hand back into the womb that his brother came out unexpectedly. And the midwife said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. And therefore his name was called Perez. Verse 30 then wraps it up. It says, afterward his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. Now, as we close this chapter today, it's an interesting chapter, isn't it? It's a difficult chapter to teach. Very hard subjects to talk about. The patriarchs of our faith, living like this kind of life, like Judah lived, doing those things. What's going on here? As we close the chapter out, we see that there's an amazing thing that we've learned about God here. First of all, we learn that the Lord can use people who make mistakes, even really bad mistakes. Now, let's call it what it is, sin. God can use sinners. In this case, Judah, one of the 12 patriarchs, one of the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel, the chosen people, he was not a righteous person here. No, Judah was at fault. He was sinning. Tamar was righteous. She was a Gentile from the Canaanites. She was supposed to be the idol worshiper, and Judah was supposed to be the one pointing the way to the one true and living God, the only God who made heaven and earth. But instead, Judah is just trying to have sex and do these things and hanging out with the Canaanites, and Tamar's trying to do what's right. And she was a Canaanite woman, a Gentile. 
She wasn't even one of the chosen seed of Abraham, and yet she did the right thing, while Judah did not do the right thing. And if you look at the book of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament, you'll see the name of her son, Perez, who was Judah's son from that sexual encounter when Judah thought she was a harlot, a temple prostitute. You'll see that the name of her son, Perez, the one who came out first, is in the lineage of the Messiah under Judah. It came from Judah to Perez and then on down the line to Jesus Christ. Perez, the son of harlotry, the son of lies and deceits on Judah's part. But it wasn't any of his fault. And yet God used him in the lineage of the most holy and sinless person who ever lived, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord. You see, the name of her son in the lineage of the Messiah, as it's listed there in Matthew 1, verse 3, and Luke chapter 3, verse 33, in the New Testament. That's right. Tamar's son, Perez, is in that line of grace. Now, other books, books that people write and try to extol the goodness of some hero that they have, they would not be so eager to write something that shows the hero has all of these faults that other people have. They try to hold them above other people. But God, in the Bible, still puts Judah in the family tree of the Messiah. And why is that? Because God is a God of truth, and He's going to tell us the truth. The good news, the bad news, the ugly news, he's going to tell us the truth all the time because God is truth. His word is truth. He's not going to hide it, you see. But he's also a God of grace and forgiveness. And that's why we're calling this the line of grace. All of these people, not so perfect people, in the line of the Messiah, the line of grace leading to the holiest sinless person, the only sinless person who ever lived, Jesus the Messiah. In fact, our whole relationship with God is really not about how good we are. My Jewish brothers and sisters, Yehudim, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Our relationship with God is not about our works. Because they can never be enough. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody. No one is perfect, you see. God is good, though. And we are reliant on His goodness, on His mercy, on His grace to be saved. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is to us. Despite our shortcomings, in spite of our failures, here's the bottom line. God is good and his mercy endures forever. And you read that throughout the Bible. And everyone who believes in God's goodness and that he gave his one and only son that we might be saved through him, everyone who believes in Yeshua as the Mashiach and the Lord will be saved. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. And when you believe on him as Lord, your name 
will be inscribed in the book of life and added to the list of those who are saved through Yeshua. As that list from the Messiah now goes onward and forward in time in the line of God's grace. Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to him, he's going to hear that cry. He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from the darkness that you're in. And he'll shine his light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all those past failures and shortcomings away. Take that load of guilt off of your shoulders and you'll be made completely new. Given a new start. And he'll even give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe on him, as the Bible says today, and to make Yeshua the Messiah and Lord in your life and to receive God's peace in your life. You could be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent his one and only son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this, and you can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you. I do want to have real peace in life. I do believe in your son, Jesus Christ as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And he's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God is making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about him every day in his word. You talk to him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. 